Please join with me in prayer. Father, I pray that uh, as Your Word has been read and now uh, I have the privilege of uh, proclaiming it, that You would write Your Word on the tablets of our hearts in fulfillment of the new covenant promises that You have made to Your church. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the question before us this morning is a very simple but deeply searching question. The question is, do you love Jesus Christ? Many people sit in church on Sunday mornings and contribute much to the church during the week, yet do not ultimately love Jesus Christ. A person may know much and do much and profess much and talk much and work much and give much and make much show concerning their religion and yet be dead before God because of lack of love. So the question remains, do you love Jesus? That is the great question that is before us this morning. J.C. Ryle says, without love for Christ, there is no vitality about our Christianity. We are no better than painted wax figures or lifeless stuffed beasts in a museum. There is no life where there is no love. So it behooves us to ask how we can know that we have a true, a sincere love for Jesus Christ. Our text will help us to answer those questions or to answer that question. There's a lot of false love for Jesus that is a cheap imitation that uh, substitutes for real love for Jesus. Now the question then becomes, why would people confess Jesus Christ when they don't love Him? Well, many unconverted people believe in the reality of hell. They sincerely know that they are sinners and that there is a final judgment and that everyone will have to stand before God and give an answer to that which they did here on earth. And since they don't want to go to hell, then they readily accept Jesus as their personal Savior. And because they do that, they'll get involved in the church and be very earnest about their religious duty. They may be even recognized as leaders in the congregation, but they themselves are not motivated by love for Jesus. They're motivated only by love for their own soul. To them, Jesus is only fire insurance and religious duty is how they pay the premium. Many who on earth said, Lord, Lord, will hear Jesus say on the great day of judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So then, how can you know if your love for Jesus is true and sincere. Jesus had examined Peter's faith and had found that, that Peter had deficiencies that needed to be addressed. I'm sure Peter's faith was real and that his love for Jesus was true and sincere, 
But there were some glaring deficiencies. And so, for you believers, I want to ask you to examine yourself as well and to examine your love for Jesus to see if there are deficiencies that need to be addressed. How Jesus addresses Peter's uh, faith will help us examine our own love for Jesus Christ. But first, before we look at how Jesus examines Peter's uh, love for Christ, I think it will be helpful for us to see some of Peter's deficiencies so that then we'll be best able to understand uh, Jesus' method in dealing with Peter. So first of all, Peter, for all his boastful trust in Christ, you will remember he denied Jesus three times on the very night that Jesus was betrayed. The very night before Jesus went to the cross, Peter denied Jesus three times. I think this is part of the reason why Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. It was Jesus' way of not so gently rebuking Peter while at the very same time restoring Peter to close fellowship with himself. When an issue comes between two people and it's unresolved, it can remain as an unspoken barrier to close affection. And we probably all have uh, issues where we butted heads with someone and time went by and we uh, began to let those issues go by the by. We begin to forget them, but we never address them. And we begin restoring our friendship but there can be that issue hanging there, unresolved. And it can be a barrier to the affection. It can be a barrier to the relationship. And so what Jesus is doing here with Peter in bringing up Peter's denial by asking, by asking Peter three times if he loved him, he's making sure that there's not going to be any barrier that remains between himself and Peter. Now I can just imagine if Jesus decided to ignore the issue, decided never to bring it up, that it would always be there as, a, as an open wound for Peter to carry through his life. That he denied his Savior three different times. One right after another. On the very night that Jesus was preparing to go to the cross and die for His sins. And so Jesus wants to make sure that He addresses the issue so that the issue is addressed and that it is put away completely. But in looking at how Jesus addresses this issue, He doesn't just simply rip the scab off the issue. He had spoken with Peter at least twice before. Remember? Uh, he appeared to, to Peter. Jesus appeared to Peter on the uh, night of his, that he had been resurrected. And then a week later. And so now this is the third appearance. In these previous two times, he had not brought up Peter's denial 
to the best of our knowledge. It's not recorded in the Scripture. Even in His third meeting, Jesus shared a meal with Peter and with the other disciples before addressing the issue. And uh, sometimes being able to sit down over a meal uh, is very helpful to as a precursor to addressing a uh, difficult issue. Our Savior is wise and kind even when it comes to rebuking our sin. Jesus did, however, rebuke Peter and He rebuked him right in front of the other disciples. And I think the reason He did this is so that um, He would restore Peter in front of the other disciples. He didn't sweep it under the rug and act like it didn't happen. He dealt with it in front of the other disciples so that the issue would be dealt with in front of all of them and that it would no longer be an issue among them. So Jesus dealt with uh, Peter's denials, but Jesus also noticed a deeper issue. Do you remember what Peter said when Jesus said that all the disciples, or when, when Jesus said, all the disciples will scatter and abandon him on the night in which he was betrayed? Do you remember what Peter said? Peter said, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. And after Jesus then told Peter that he would deny him three times, Peter continued and said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. In other words, Peter had an ugly pride that was mixed in with his faith. There was a self-sufficiency that Jesus needed to isolate in order that He would address it. He needed to isolate it so that He could root it out. Furthermore, Peter seemed to think that his faith and devotion were of a better quality than that of the other disciples. Can you imagine the destruction within the company of the disciples if Jesus had not addressed that attitude in Peter? If Peter's walking around and acting like he's better than the other apostles or other disciples, that his faith is stronger than the other disciples, that would have been catastrophic to their relationship. It would have destroyed their ministry even before it got started. It would have been a cancer that would have been among the disciples. Do you remember how last week and for those of you who are visiting, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John now for a long time. This is the final sermon, um, Lord willing, in, in John for this series. But So do you remember how last week, first part of John 21, how Peter did not wait for the boat to reach the shore, but he jumped overboard to swim ahead and, and get to Jesus before the other disciples were able to get there? After studying this passage this week, I came to the conclusion, and I could be wrong, that it was an expression of Peter's pride. Look at verse 15. Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these? I've been overlooking that all these years and reading that. Do you love me? I just 
saw it as, do you love me? But he's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? That's a bit of a rebuke. And I think Peter got the point, but he tried to avoid it. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In other words, he doesn't answer the question uh, directly. Yes, Lord, I love you more than these others. He doesn't do that. We're going to see another expression of Peter's pride in verse 21, but we'll hold off there for a second. So how does Jesus help Peter examine the quality of his love for Jesus? Well, he asked him about it. He asked him about the quality of his love three times. So verses 15 through 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Why did Jesus ask Peter these three times whether he loved him? First of all, Jesus is showing Peter just how important it is to love Jesus. Loving Jesus is the essence of true faith. That's why J.C. Ryle said that a loveless faith is no faith at all. But Jesus had a deeper question or a deeper reason for asking Him three times. Um, And that deeper question or that deeper uh, reason for asking Him these three times was He was uh, seeking to purify Peter's love. He was drawing forth from Peter a truer, a, a, a purer faith. Do you remember how Jesus said to the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was inhabited by a demon? She begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. And you remember how He addressed her? Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What is Jesus doing here? Our merciful, our compassionate Savior saying it is not right for the children's bread to throw it to the dogs. He's calling her a dog. He's saying, I'm not going to heal your daughter. What is He doing? She answered Him, Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, Jesus was drawing out her faith. He was causing her to not just have her daughter be healed and go on her way, but He was having her place her trust in Him. And that's what I think Jesus is doing to Peter. He kept asking Peter until Peter was grieved. And then He finally, from the depths of his heart, He said, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love You. You know, as as a pastor, I ask people about their relationship with God. And you know what? 
almost everybody's doing very well with their relationship with God. I ask people if they're reading the Bibles, and they sure they're reading their Bibles. When I ask what they're reading, sometimes the answers get fuzzy. In other words, many times people will tell me what they think I want to hear. They'll tell me what they think they're supposed to say. And I think this is what Peter is doing until he answers the third time. I think he's kind of going through the motions. Jesus saying, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And then he asks him again the third time, do you love me? And Peter is grieved. I think everybody loves Jesus, but just how many people really do. I love Jesus, but I'm living with my girlfriend. I love Jesus, but I don't really ever read the Bible except on Sunday morning in church. I love Jesus, but I'm selective in my obedience. I love Jesus, but I'm going to be the rule maker in my life. You know, I say to young people all the time, I tell them, don't marry a Christian man or a Christian woman. Marry a godly man or a godly woman. Whichever the case may be. The reason I say this is because everybody says they're a Christian. Especially if you um, have the stars in your eyes of the relationship. And uh, you, that person knows that the other is a Christian, well, sure they'll come to church. Sure they'll confess that they're a Christian. Sure they'll say all the right things. Don't marry a, a Christian man or a woman. Marry a godly man or a godly woman. Do you get it? Do you see what I'm saying? Are you able to say, not to me and not to yourself, But are you able to say to God, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love You. Are you able to speak honestly before the, the Lord of the universe who searches your heart and your mind and honestly say, Lord, I love You. A second test of true sincere love is found in verses 18 and 19. Jesus told Peter that he was going to die a terrible death. Would Peter balk at that information? Would Peter say, No, Lord, I'm not willing to go that far? Peter had just expressed from the depths of his heart his true and his sincere love for Jesus. And so he's essentially saying, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, Lord. The Lord says he's going to die a terrible death. Peter does not balk at that at all. Jesus' questioning had purified Peter's love. So Peter was now willing to go anywhere, even to a terrible death in order that he might follow his Savior. We know from history how Peter died. He was crucified in Rome. And we are told that he was crucified upside down. So my question to you is, do you love Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus anywhere He calls you to go? Are you willing to follow Him even if it means that it will lead to terrible suffering? 
Just this week, the U.S. State Department designated that the atrocities that were being perpetrated against um, Christians by the Islamic State, uh, they finally recognized, um, probably two years late, that uh, this was actually genocide. There are Christians over in the Mideast who are dying. Whole families being wiped out. Whole villages of Christians being wiped out. They estimate that millions of Christians in the Mideast have either been displaced or have been killed. And yet when push comes to shove, they are not denying their faith. If you love Jesus, you will follow Him. But Peter still needs some purification. He still has a bit of pride. Look at verses 20 and 21. Apparently, Jesus wanted to carry on His conversation with Peter alone. He's rebuked him in front of the the disciples. He's restored him in front of the other disciples. Now He says, come, follow Me. And they were going to walk away. And John, the apostle who who wrote the Gospel of John, got up and began following them. And I don't know if Peter was a little irked that John was following or um, what motivated him. But uh, I'll just read verses 20 and 21. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? <laughs> With friends like Peter, who needs enemies? <laughs> uh, you know, Peter is willing to die, but his pride bubbles to the surface. And he asked Jesus whether, Je- whether John was going to suffer a similar fate. So Jesus answered him, If it is My will that He remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow Me. I think this helps helps us measure the quality of our love for Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying is your love is not... uh, Our love for Jesus should not be graded on a scale. Uh, Just because some other Christian is leading a rather plush life doesn't mean that Jesus is calling you to live a plush life as well. Peter has heard that he's going to die. Well, what about him, Lord? Well, we can look at it a different way. You cannot determine the limits of your love for Jesus by comparing yourself to others. In other words, it's wrong for you to say, well, this is the norm. This is what so-and-so, this is how they express their love for Jesus. So that will be the limit as far as I will go. Jesus does not want our love to be determined by how much others love Jesus. But isn't that how we tend to do it? We compare ourselves to others to justify ourselves. You know, to do that means that we have a little Savior. But Jesus, it means that Jesus is little to you if you limit your love for Him. It means that He's not the whole world to you. 
He might be on your priority list, but not at the top. But Jesus is a big Savior. In fact, look at verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world, or the world itself, could not contain the books that would be written. In other words, we have a big Savior. We have a Savior who went to the cross even though He knew no sin completely unacquainted with it, had lived from all eternity and had never sinned, He went to the cross and became sin for us. He hung on that cross as a substitute for sinners. He went and paid for our sins. Something that none of us could ever do. If we spent the whole rest of eternity trying to atone for our sins, we could never pay for them. But Jesus, in the space of those few hours that He hung on the cross, paid for all our sins, our past sins, present sins, even our future sins that we have yet to commit. He is a good Savior. He is a big Savior. He is worthy of your love. Is Jesus the whole world to you? If you don't love Him, or if you struggle to love Him, or if you love yourself, seek Him now. Seek Him for repentance. Seek Him for faith. Seek Him for love and ask Him to give you the love that you are struggling to give Him. If you've never loved Him, seek Him for that faith and that same, that same faith and love. Seek Him. He delights to save. Let me give an illustration and I'll be finished. The first time I went to Uganda 25 or 26 years ago, um, I was uh, preaching in an Anglican church and uh, really didn't know what to expect. There was 300 people or so out there. I am uh, uh, just finished my junior year in college and uh, I'm preaching... Uh, because all the other pastors uh, got sick with uh, malaria. So I was thrown out there to preach. I was not expecting big things. I wasn't expecting anything. I'm just taking the Word and preaching the best I can. And um, all of a sudden, as I'm preaching, people start coming forward. And I'm going, what's going on here? And I, I asked, what's happening? And they said, well... They're coming. They want a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I think, well, I don't know what to do here. So I closed the sermon and I moved them all outside into another building. I had the other missionaries that were with us break out and talk to these people. I wanted to see what the content of their faith was. And three people really stuck out in my mind over all these years. There was a man and a woman and they said, hearing you preach about Jesus, we're giving our lives to Him now. And we are convicted that we need to move out. And we can't afford to pay the, the dowry, the wedding dowry, so we can't afford to get married. What do we need to do? And that was, I didn't know what to tell them at that point, except I was uh, just 
uh, overcome with joy that they were repenting. And I, I had them talk to one of the pastors. And then another, a town official came up to me and he said, I had been taking bribes. And as you were preaching, I was convicted that I could no longer do that. And I needed to pay back those people uh, from that uh, had paid me bribes. And so uh, he was repenting, and he was he was joyfully uh, going to pay back all the bribes that he had taken. And then there was a young lady, and she said, "My family and I make beer." And as you were preaching, I trusted in Jesus Christ, and I'm con- convicted that I can't make beer anymore because people will get drunk. What should I do? I didn't know what to say. I opened up to Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says that He'll take care of the... uh, just like He takes care of the sparrows, so He'll take care even more so of us. Uh, I said put... uh, the the Matthew 6, uh, 33, put Christ and His kingdom first and He'll give you everything you need for life and for godliness. And even though she's telling me that she has in her mind no way to support her family, there was a joy, there was a great big smile because she loved Jesus. And that's what Jesus is drawing out from Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know, Lord, that I love you. Nothing else mattered except that he loved Jesus. What about your love for Jesus? Are you honest before God? Are you willing to endure any circumstance because you love him? Is your love for Jesus on a scale measured against other people? and their love, or is it true and sincere? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have been in the Gospel of John for quite some time, and we rejoice in Your Word. We thank You that on every page of the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up In fact, that is the whole reason that You included the Gospel of John. In order that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in His name. Lord, the content of true faith is love for our Lord Jesus. And so I pray that You would fill us with love, Lord, and for those who are struggling to love Him. Lord, I pray You would grant them repentance. I pray that You would grant them faith. I pray that You would grant them love, overflowing love for, for, for Him because He has overloving, overflowing love for them. I pray in His name. Amen.